Banen. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. What's going on, everyone? Restaurant Fiction is about to explore and review the fictional burger joint, Bob's Burgers, with none other than Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Seton Hall University, Dr. Travis Timmerman. He's on the podcast because he knows Bob's Burgers more than anyone we know. He's our favorite modern philosopher, and he's my best friend. But before we get into Bob's Burgers, or anything Bob's Burgers, we're throwing you a bonus at the beginning. It might not be for the faint of heart, but it's who we are, and that's entertaining and fun as fuck. Go! So, um, before we begin, um, you are still very wrong, but you have a very strong argument in not liking to exercise outdoors. I, I completely disagree with you. Um, 100%. But, but your, your argument is strong, and I will give you an example of why your argument is strong. Today, I went for a hike that I have not done in a while. It's called the Culver City Stairs, and it is a mountain with tons of stairs. I do it because it's a huge, very hard workout, and I do um, like interval training on them, and I you know, if I do them, if I do the stairs, like, uh, if I do the stairs and then run back down, it takes me like an hour if I do it three times and my shirt is like soaking sweat. Okay. So today, um, usually like every once in a while I get so sweaty, there's like a little fruit fly that like, Oh, I killed cause of my sweat and everything. And that's fine. Today there were flying ants. They were flying fucking ants. And oh my gosh, it was unreal that every time I killed them, like I wiped, they were in my hair. They killed because of the sweat. They instantly died, but they were in my hair. They got in my eyebrows. They, I don't know where they, oh my gosh, it was fucking insane. And I thought like, I thought by just wiping them off, I'm good. And then they just kept on like coming in and, and even all the way to my car. I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like I'm, I'm like yelling and, and then finally, and I'm just like, they, they got in my eyelash. One fucking God. How does that possible? I wiped and, and I'm just like, ah, ah. And like, I'm just like, fuck. Like, it's not like I'm scared, but it's just like, it's such an annoyance and, and they're trapped in my sweat and they're flying in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and it's like, this is, this is a first I've been climbing these stairs. So it's not like, oh, this always happens, but God damn it. You have a very valid point, but <laughs> right. you're still wrong. But your point is very strong because I'm like not going to be doing the Culver City stairs for a while right now because I do not want flying ants. Like, luckily they died instantly because I sweat so much. But like, if, and and they they like literally just marinated in my saltiness. But. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, gals, aliens, King Kongs, dinosaurs, Neanderthals, etc., etc. Welcome back. Though this burger shop 
you know, they do change actually the menu. Almost no. Actually, every day they come up with a special. They come up with a special, and it's $5.95. And these clever names, these very witty names, the titles of their burgers are even better than Shakespeare. I don't actually think Shakespeare could do a better job than naming these burgers. But when we're feeling lucky and we're also being punks, that's right, that's uh, our crew of Restaurant Fiction, we just order our burger with cheese. That's enough. That's enough special because this cheese does not melt. You see, it just stays at glossy uh, aloofness, you know, as if it were mocking the rest of the richness of the sandwich. And that being said, we order our cheeseburger or hamburger with our fries, which actually tastes like potato, right amount of salt, the right amount of seasoning. And we get the Coke, which is a perfect balance of syrup and carbonated water. And the soft serve, which is so dense. It's denser than one of those blizzards, you know, with the blizzards that they like to uh, show you how dense their blizzards are from Dairy Queen by topping it over, by tipping it over. Yeah, it's more dense than that. But other than that, yeah, we're not going to ever go with this special. And we're going to be stubborn about it. And it's going to stay that way for the many, many grand openings and re-grand openings and re-re-re-re-re-grand openings that Bob's Burgers is going to go through for the rest of our times. All right, Travis, Dr. Travis Timmerman, what do you have to add? What do you have to uh, either enhance? What do you have to critique? The floor is yours on Bob's Burgers and the review. As far as the food, I'm going to have to take Restaurants Fiction's assertions about what the taste is like, since uh, they don't seem to have any vegetarian vegan burgers or I can only eat the fries. Hold Um, on. Um, you are an aficionado of Bob's Burgers. This is uh, one of your favorite uh, burger joints. And you're saying in what? Your uh, seven plus years of dining at Bob's Burgers, they have not once served a vegan, a vegetarian burger uh, that meets your diet. They haven't served. Uh, yeah. So I've been a fan of Bob's Burgers since it aired. So what is that like nine years now? No indication of vegetarian or vegan alternatives. Even though there's good things like the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger out, no hint of Bob uh, making or ever making one of those, uh, which means that the only thing that I could eat there are fries. But, you know, French fries are good. I like French fries. There's nothing wrong with some fries. Wow. wow. Now, how how would Bob do with with the pizza? What if it was called Bob's Pizza and not Bob's Burgers? Oh, I can't even imagine that, right? Bob's enemy is Jimmy Pestos, who owns the pizza place across the street. And he doesn't do a good job with pizza or anything else that he makes there. And one of the things that is really important to Bob's Burgers is that it's a burger joint, which is sort of seen as being a kind of quintessentially American uh, meal. All right, so if it were Bob's Pizza, uh, the show would have a totally different vibe because the restaurant's not just kind of a backdrop for the characters to have interactions with one another in the way that lots of restaurants and bars and TV shows are. They sort of serve as a backdrop for that. Uh, this is sort of like an extension of Bob. This is part of Bob's identity. 
And it's a show about a kind of quirky American family. I, I looked this up before we talked, um, but a hamburger, according to one congresswoman, Rosa DeLorio, which is understood. I mean, the metaphysics of a hamburger is a bit complicated. There might be some kind of gray areas. The origins have sometimes been traced back to Hamburg, Germany. But according to this congresswoman, the hamburger, which is understood in this way as ground meat between two slices of bread, was first created in America in 1900 by Louis Lassen, a Dan- Danish immigrant who owned this place called Louis Lunch, Louis Lunch in New Haven, Connecticut, which is really kind of interesting uh, that you get the alliteration in the name, that it's in the uh, East Coast. It's very much like Bob's Burgers. So I just can't even uh, imagine what the show, it would just be a different, fundamentally different show if Bob owned a pizza joint or, you know, a sushi stand or something like that. Every time we go to Bob's Burgers, it's it's almost like a comedy. Uh, restaurant fiction, it is a fun, a fun, even funny experience. What is the funniest restaurant experience in real life, in your past, present life that you've ever had? That's kind of a tough question to answer. But the first thing that immediately comes to mind is... Uh, some pizza that I had in Italy. I was in Monticello, a little village in Tuscany, 2002, I want to say. So it's a very tiny village. There was a football, a soccer game on at the time that was catching most of the town's interest. And we went into a little uh, pizza joint that was kind of prominently uh, right in the middle of the town that was really the only thing that was kind of on the menu was pizza so we figured if that's the only thing that's on the menu uh they probably do a good job with it and it's in italy and pizza is like an italian food sort of so maybe uh that'll be good we order we wait i want to say an hour hour and a half or so we're the only people in this tiny little cafe maybe there's a couple other customers there but it's pretty empty i mean that's fine you know case of the service is different it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, like the u.s part of a high school study abroad trip okay and they bring out what i am positive were frozen microwaved pizzas <laughs> about an hour hour and a half later and they couldn't have been microwaved for very long because they were still frozen and cold in the middle. <laughs> uh, so uh, there was it was uh, the worst pizza that I ever had. It was in this little village in uh, Tuscany, Italy. I don't know if that's because they were enamored by uh, or like really intent on the football game or for some other reason, or if this is really the kind of pizza that they serve normally. Then when we go to check out, everyone at the table, there must have been four of us, I want to say, uh, maybe five had ordered the exact same thing. And each time we would go up and tell them what we had and they would calculate it by hand. We all ordered the same thing, a cheese pizza and a soda or something. And they gave us a different, <laughs> they gave us a different amount of the bill for each of us individually that they, that they laboriously calculated <laughs> for a very long time. So I don't know if there was something else going on, like how annoying we were or something like that was factoring into the price range. Uh, I'm not sure, but it was, I think that was a pretty, that's the first kind of experience that comes to mind that was funny because it subverted my expectations in so many ways and was just, just terrible, terrible food. <laughs> 
these are shotgun questions uh, because you have studied past and present philosophers. I'm going to name a few, and let's see what they're eating at Bob's Burgers. What, <laughs> what's, what's Epicurus eating at Bob's Burgers? Ooh, uh, I think he's going to be eating a burger while he's talking about how death is not bad for the animals. Just the pain and suffering that they endured beforehand was terrible for them. So just like Homer Simpson, but in a much more academic way. Yeah, I mean, he thought he thought death wasn't bad for anyone, humans or non-human animals. So yeah, I think he'd be I think he'd be going on about that. And what type of burger is Epicurus eating? Hmm. What type? Well, you know, the Epicureans he was a hedonist of some sort, but he also sort of liked kind of plainer stuff. So I think he would be not like like restaurant fiction. He would not be eating a burger of the day. I think he would just be eating the kind of standard uh, burger. With lettuce, tomato, pickles, perhaps. Yeah. Nothing fancy, nothing too exciting. What is Plato and Socrates eating at Bob's Burgers? And for the people who don't know these philosophers, well, shame on you, because even <laughs> a non-philosopher knows who these philosophers are. But Plato is not the stuff you play with your hands. And it's Socrates, I believe was right up there. He either was his mentor or protege. They were kind of side by side. But anyway, what are they eating at Bob's Burgers? Yeah, kudos uh, on your philosophical knowledge there. That's right. Uh, Socrates came first and uh, he was Plato's mentor. Uh, and Plato wrote a lot of dialogues. Socrates never wrote anything. Plato wrote a lot of dialogues where Socrates was kind of a character in them. Uh, and they made the early ones kind of made Socrates look pretty good. Uh, so what would they eat? Well, I actually don't think Socrates would get around to being able to eat anything. He would come in knowing that Bob was the kind of self-professed expert on hamburgers. And he would ask Bob a seemingly simple question, uh, such as, what is a hamburger? What are the necessary and sufficient conditions for being a hamburger? And every answer that Bob would give him, Socrates poke holes in it. Until Bob got so frustrated, he would kick him out of the restaurant before he could be served. Plato wouldn't eat anything either. He would just be dutifully kind of writing down this dialogue, uh, making Socrates look really good and making Bob look really dim-witted. <laughs> and uh, then he would leave with Socrates as well, uh, portraying him as sort of hero. So picture this. So you actually, so Bob's Burgers actually has the best vegan burger imaginable. You get to invite your favorite philosopher, not not to discuss, not to talk philosophy, just to have a burger, to sit in silence and to watch your favorite <laughs> philosopher. Yes, no, I know, I know, it's ironic. Two philosophers sit, not talking, just enjoying the food at hand, being mindful, the term that hippies back in the 60s uh, invented, but being mindful with the food they're eating. And now, now you have your delicious, vegan, all vegan, greasy burger. Yeah, it's a vegan patty or impossible meat or beyond meat, whatever. But it is the best of the highest quality, the highest caliber. You get to pick your choice of modern day living philosophers and you get to pick what are they having? <laughs> OK, but I can't talk to them. I just have to sit there and watch them eat a burger. And you get to choose what <laughs> they're eating and it has to have a very important reason on why. Bob is serving uh, impossible and beyond meat now. Maybe it's because some really great vegetarian or vegan philosopher who's written on animal ethics got him to change his mind. It's more effective than the character Randy. And one of the kind of founders of the modern day animal welfare movement is Peter Singer. 
reading his work, Animal Liberation, as an undergraduate in college and seeing him talk at ASU when the philosophy department brought him in. Changed the way that I uh, thought about animal welfare and then it uh, turned me into a vegetarian at the time. Uh, and now try not to eat any animal products whatsoever. Uh, so I guess I would pick Peter Singer. Uh, if I, so if I, if I have to pick someone that I can't talk to, but I have to watch eat a burger, I would pick Peter Singer eating a vegan burger at Bob's Burgers with a kind of sense of satisfaction uh, for getting Bob to you know display some um, modicum of moral growth and start serving the impossible and the beyond patties in addition, or maybe instead of the beef patties that he has served for so long. What does Bob's Burgers say about American food culture and its low end? And it's low end. Yeah. That's interesting. So, well, so I think the show Bob's Burger sort of suggests that a lot of Americans maybe don't care too much about the quality of the food or that they're not seeking out the quality of the food because Bob's rival, Jimmy Pesto's, seems to be much more successful than uh, Bob's own place. And the show itself, not just the character Bob, but the show itself sort of suggests that the quality of food at Jimmy Pesto's is not very good. It's subpar at best, and it's definitely worse than Bob's. Nevertheless, he's you know better at advertising, and that kind of marketing skill has uh, maybe duped people and brought more of them in there. If I'm reading this correctly, then, I think that's one thing that it's saying. And I don't know if that's accurate or not, but whether it's accurate or not, it's not a kind of positive portrayal of American food culture. Now, one thing that's sort of interesting is Bob's Burgers, and you referenced this in the beginning in your review, uh, has sort of stayed alive in spite of Bob's lack of business acumen. Uh, They've had to face hurdle after hurdle after hurdle and shut down, at least given the opening credits. They almost never have any business, but they still hang in there. They have enough business, a couple of diehard fans to keep them going in spite of Bob's kind of obtuseness when it comes to marketing. And I think that suggests that, you know, there's enough people maybe who are seeking out maybe the best version or high quality food uh, and not just what has the, you know, restaurant that has the biggest marketing budget. Uh, So there's some kind of glimmer of hope there. Thank you, Dr. Timmerman. For all who want to know more about him, go to his website, travistimmerman.com. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-T-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N.com. Take his courses at Seton Hall and buy the latest book that he co-edited, Exploring the Philosophy of Death and Dying, Classical and Contemporary Perspectives. As for us at Restaurant Fiction, we're right here where you found us, all 50-plus episodes. Listen to your heart's content, and you can always give me, Monis Rose, a shout-out at monis at restaurantfiction.com. Until next time, keep it real, keep it fresh, and always keep it on the flip side. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant? Bar.
Club. Day. Night. 